One of the things I love about your pastor, and actually your whole church, is kind of the, the thread of, of humor that's just there. Um, whether it's a picture of a laughing Jesus, or it's him, it's just, it's great to see people laugh for Jesus. And he's actually possessing one of my favorite kind of humors. It's dry. I'm sure you guys love that. Um, so I, as I start today, I, I got to preach first service, and I really loved it. I felt like God spoke something to you guys as a church that I shared at the end of last service. Maybe it wasn't the best fit time of putting it in, so I'm just going to say it to you now, and I'm going to pray over you before, if that's okay. Um, as I prepared for this this past week, I really felt like God wanted me to share this with you. Specific, I'm not a prophet, and I do not claim to be that, but I do believe that he has this for you, and it's this. Um, there are people right now carrying the luggage of fear and doubt, and very reasonable fear and doubt. You, you actually probably have good reason for it. But I believe he is now trying to transition you to understand that he is giving you peace and faith and that you have to choose, choose to have it. Does that make sense? So I want to pray over you before we start. Father, your Holy Spirit is, is beautiful. Your Holy Spirit is, is given. Today, for, um, just for the people we just, I really feel like you wanted to just encourage, allow them to see, uh, see what you see. To see beautifully the landscape of, of their day and the people around them and the ones that are facing surgeries and teenagers that are crazy and all kinds of mess in their life. They would just say, this, is, this makes a lot of sense that I should have fear, and, but I'm just going to choose that I'll have faith and peace. Because that's your kingdom. That's your tangible kingdom. Peace, joy, and righteousness. So, Holy Spirit, today, really, I just pray that you would just do an amazing work in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm Josh, and my wife is Sarah, and we are planting a church. I see people I shouldn't be seeing right now from my past, which is awesome. And I, I just never know when you preach somewhere. It's, it's amazing. Um, we're planting, planting a church through Riverstone. We're going to call it River City Church. Not because it's a cool-sounding phrase, but I do like the way it sounds. But because a year and a half ago, we decided to step away from full-time ministry because I just didn't really know how to do ministry in a healthy manner. I was kind of the guy that was like in a rat wheel, like continually going and just killing myself. And so uh, we, we started praying some really hard prayers. God, are we doing this right? Are we doing it wrong? Yeah, you are doing it wrong. Okay, now what does that mean? And we felt like he told us to quit our ministry job respectively, um, turn in our resignation and tell our pastor, we don't know what he's asking us to do, but we know we're supposed to step away from ministry. We heard about a church called Riverstone, which um, I'd gotten in touch with because I've been to some of their events. And we showed up at their church and asked, we love your DNA. We love that your pastors are humble and that it's not about being the next conference speaker. We love that you guys seem to care about, like, the kingdom. Like, you're talking about adoption and planting churches. So can we just join your church? I'll just find work. And he led us. And, and then here we are, a year and three, two months later, math-ishness. And I'm about to plant a church through my favorite church on the planet. You guys are second. I've only been here a couple times. Um, and I just think that's the, the heart of God. So I, I will say this before I preach. Pray that, that if God wants you to come with us, that you would obey. I'm not going to dance around that. We need God's people to come. Here's the kind of person we want to come, the ones that are in love with this place. Because we feel like we, we love Riverstone. When we step away from Riverstone, it's going to be like somebody's ripping our heart out. Here's the way you don't come. Are you upset, at David, about everything? You probably don't want to come with us because we don't want you. Uh, <laughs> That's the main reason people leave churches, 
but it's also the worst reason. The best reason to leave a church is that you understand that the kingdom of God is about making missional communities and taking the gospel to people. I don't want to lead a church of 10,000 people. I want to lead a healthy group of people. We want to lead disciples making disciples. And so that's how we're going to grade it. So we're not going to have 1,000 people uh, unless God wants us to. Um, So pray about it. We actually put a number under some of your seats. David let us do this. And if if you find a number one under your seat, he said you have to come. So it's just, he said as a sign for you guys to make. So, it's nothing personal. If you didn't get it, you can still come. Um, so a little bit about myself. So I grew up in this area, um, was a part of the biggest church in the southeast as a teen and as a kid and even into my younger adult years. Um, and, and I was one of those guys that sat in the back and just kind of wanted to distance myself from really anything, anybody. Like I didn't. I really didn't want people to penetrate my walls, and I was good at presenting what looked like, um, stay away from me, I'm good. Well, actually, it was just like, just deep insecure, incredibly deep insecurity that had just masked. We all seemed to know how to mask our insecurity, and I did really well. Um, got in a lot of trouble in high school. Long story short, I will not get into my testimony today. Maybe one day he'll let me get back. I flunked out of three high schools uh, in a row. Um, I sat down across from a principal that said, you're not going to make it. You need to take your GED. Took my GED. Supposed to be a senior in high school. Ended up having to go to a rehab across the country. Uh, Got back from the rehab, and I met a family. Okay. And the family's name was uh, the Kesslers. And maybe some of you know them. They have a church near Sprayberry. And I I remember um, them inviting me to be with them. And I was a criminal. I'm not just saying that. I'm not bragging about my past, but... I was not a person that you wanted around your family for extended periods of time. It was dangerous. And so I remember this family inviting me in, not only in, into their home. And I would go over and, and just sit around, like awkward, just completely awkward. I didn't know how to be in community. I'd been in the largest church. You don't have to be in community. You can just show up and listen to awesome stuff and leave. And so I'm sitting around with them, and there's, there's days where they're like, you want to come out back and, and worship with us on the back porch? I'm like, Not really. No, it'll just be us and our six voices and you. It'll be great. And I was like, oh, that sounds even worse. <laughs> and, and you guys remember when the song, um, Hillsong came out with uh, Shout to the Lord? Like that, remember that? If you don't remember that, then you're probably not a human. Because that was a big deal in, in Christendom's past. So we would sit on the back porch and sing that. And there were times when they would invite me to go on conferences with them. And so we would go to Charlotte. And, like, for me, it was a big deal because... I was detrimental to their, their witness. I really think that I, people saw them with me and they would have been like, huh. They might have even questioned their spirituality because of their relationship with me. Because I would like sit out front of the conference and like, like just smoke cigarettes and stuff. Like not, I mean, everybody struggling their past. But, so for me, it was like they, they put an imprint on me that I would have to not be able to avoid because of the way that they loved it wasn't the amazing messages I heard from one of the best preachers on the planet my whole life. It was these four people in this family that they did it differently. And in John, it talks about this kind of love that, that we're supposed to start to offer. Um, and it really becomes like the litmus test for if we're seen as his disciples. If you'll pull this up for us, please. This is John uh, 13, 34 through 35. We, hey! There it is. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here's the thing I want to start off with today. You know, what's our mission? 
You know, what's community transformation about? It's about going out and expressing to the precious people or lost, but I, something about word, the word precious, because that's how Jesus sees them, like getting in their lives. Something, that's our mission. Like we're here to do, we're here to love God, love people, and make disciples. You cannot argue with me about that. That's it. We do that. But before we do that, how's he asking us to do it? So I want to look back a little bit. We're going to look back at the Old Testament, and then we're going to look at right when Jesus was here, and then I'm going to kind of invite you guys to pray with me about some things. If you look back in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 4.6, um, there's a passage about temple building. This whole chapter is really about the building or the rebuilding of the temple. And in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where the Spirit lived. So it's not like today where there's an actual building. This building housed the presence of God, right? And so there are only certain people that could even be there. And so he had the responsibility to build it, Zerubbabel. And he was, there was opposition coming against him. And so... God sends him a prophet to speak a word to him, Zechariah. And the word is this. It will not be by might nor by power, but by my spirit that you'll build this. Which I'm sure for him probably eased some of his tensions. But he was telling him, listen, it's not going to be how many men you gather. It's not going to be how eloquently you speak to people in this society. It will only always ever be about my spirit building this temple. And this is the craziest thing about this to me. Is God's telling him to use the thing that will live in the temple to build it? Isn't that crazy? It's like he's doing all the work. It's like you guys want to come. You're, you guys are doing a great job. Come on, I'm really going to do everything, but you guys can join the journey. But he wanted him to know. Listen, calm down with all of the the fear, the anxiety about getting this done. I'm going to do this by my spirit. It's not about you, bro. That's probably not what he said, but it's not about you, bro. And so, um, fast forward a little bit, a lot. To when Jesus had come. Jesus came, he walked the earth, he gave his life for us. And then all of a sudden, there's these Christian communities right after Jesus comes. He's resurrected, and they're starting to meet in a little bit of a different society than what we have. And they have the task now of not building a building to the Spirit, but to build the actual temple, explained differently in the New Testament, right? Okay, so they, they come from a society where they understood actual temples, though. So first century Christians in, in, the, in, in Priena. Say they're in Priena, and disciples are meeting, and the, the culture understands about temples because you can go down the street, and literally the Temple of Athena is there. And the Temple of Athena, it, it looked like what our buildings in Washington look like. They had the columns all in front. You guys have seen the buildings that had all the columns. The Temple of Athena was the first one that looked like that. And the Temple of Athena had just amazing stuff around it. Like, we think that we're the first ones that thought of social outreach, but you could literally, you could study this. You could walk around the Temple of Athena. You can get free medical, free dentistry, some free Nikes. Because, you know, like Nike, you see what I'm saying? You could get all kinds of stuff. You could watch a play and people don't even know what they were. And then you go inside and there's this 20-foot statue plated in gold of Athena. And just imagine, like, you're one of the kids from the Christian community. And you walk up and you're like, what in the world? Like, there's 58 huts. And then there's the, so that person's important. Or is that a person? What is that? And you're, at, and you're interacting. It's, oh, it's a god. It's a god. It's Athena. Why did you build all this for Athena? Well, because we want to show everybody how awesome our god is. This building was built to show how amazing our god would be. And they would have guys that would give their whole life, 70 years of their life, to carve one stone. So the columns were made of 10, 15 stones. And one, one man... 70 years of his life, just ding, 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 ding. And you had like eight jobs in the past seven years, right? 
This guy's just doing this his whole life. And the cool thing about the construction of this temple is, like, if you're a mile away and you're looking at it, it looks symmetrically perfect. Like, you're looking at it, it's pleasing to the eye, the columns are, but for it to look like that, each stone had to be carved differently. And each stone was a different size. So the top of it, because it needed to look like the bottom, would have to be just a little bit bigger. But they had somehow figured out a way to make this happen where it looked perfect. And so, why did you do all this? Why did you, why are guys spending it? Because we wanted to show how awesome Athena is. So the girl that's a Christian, the other girl starts to ask her, well, you're a Christian, right? You know, and then we've heard about Jesus. Where's your temple? Where, where do you worship your God? And so they're walking through the woods and over hills and through stuff that's back then that's not now and getting to a place. And they walk up to this house that looks like it's been like constructed together. And so it's confusing. She walks up and she doesn't understand what she's looking at. She knows she's looking at a house and this is supposed to be the temple. And she goes in and there's 38 people. And they all have beards and smell of musk. And there's a smell like after a basketball game. And she walks in and she's like, this is extremely confusing because I asked you to show me your temple and I'm in the middle of your grandma's house and it smells like musk. And there begins to be this thought happen, this, this rewriting. And she begins to experience the way that these people start to treat each other. And she begins to experience something that that society had never seen, something that our society doesn't see. She begins to see servant mentality. She sees a man having his feet washed by another man. And it's confusing. And she sees the temple. And it's because the new temple will look different. If you could pull up Acts 17. I just want to read you a couple passages. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. You can go to the next one. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he, this passage is written to a people that understands temples, that understands the guy that just carved that stone for that. He's trying to share with them, you don't understand in this new temple, you, you, you in this room are the living stones. And now he's going to spend his whole, your whole existence carving you out exactly as he needs you to be. And so it's going to feel awkward at times. And it's, there's going to be seasons where it's like, why drought? And there's going to be seasons where you're not getting your blessing right now. And he doesn't want you to. And there's going to be seasons where you have to hang out with people that don't really treat you the way that you need to be treated. And he's chiseling away at you and your heart and your calling and your passion. And some of us want to take the hammer away from him and be like, no, it's not supposed to be like this. He's saying, he is the former. You're the stones. And now he puts all these stones Together perfectly. He puts them together. If you can pull up the next passage. Because don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. I, I messed this passage up for like ever. Forever I thought he lives in me. It's so like I would argue with you about that. Yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in me. That's not what this is saying. This is actually talking about the communal residence of the Holy Spirit. So that if there's not a communal, it, it doesn't. This, and this is just a theory. It's probably not even biblical, so don't pretend like I didn't say this if you don't like it. Um, so when worship happens, and like it happened a minute ago, and everybody's worshiping, it happened a minute ago, and you start to feel the presence of God, right? Just my theory, the more emptied the room gets of self, 
the more communal the spirit can get within the temple. Does that make sense? I don't necessarily believe he's hovering on a cloud looking for churches. Like, does that, you guys want to go down to Stonebridge today? To the Trinity? Because we should just drop our spirit in on them. I believe that the less of us there is in any environment, the presence of Jesus is there. That's why we become the aroma of Christ to this world. That's why. And so I'm going to do a, an awkward, incredibly awkward thing. That's all right with you. I'm going to ask for um, a couple of, four volunteers. Totally, yeah, I messed up some people in the first service because it's just awkward. So can I get like three, three people? Thank you, sir. You, you, my man, are a good man. Yes, young, beautiful young lady. You? Okay. And so um, if you guys would just kind of stand in a... Uh, this is good. We can just do... We can do three. And so I can still see. So, okay, so... Um, and face, face me, actually. I'm sorry. This is where it got awkward in the first service, too. I didn't learn. So, so Old Testament um, temples, you would walk by and see. And you would see how beautiful they were. Literally, the New Testament is this way. That anywhere... These three people are, or you two people, or you eight people, or you six people are. Whatever person enters those people has just entered the temple. Wherever you are. Doesn't matter what building you're in. You could be be in a building that's the opposite of Jesus. If the three people in this group, they enter our temple. That's why whenever there's any type of strife between anyone, That's why the Bible says leave your offering at the altar and go make right with your brother. Because the way that we show our splendor of our God is not by plating this place out in gold. It's by how well we love one another. And so when there is unforgiveness and someone walks into this, they don't see our... You guys can sit down. It's it's, it's awkward. I'm so close to you right now. Thank you for doing that. So the, the temple now is it's in us and it's mobile. And now we offer even better things than the, the goddess Athena did. Not only is there better than free medical, we actually, according to Scripture, can lay hands on people and they can be healed. Mobile. We can be in McDonald's drinking a dollar cup of coffee. Somebody hearing about the love of Jesus. But it will always be the way that we love one another. So it's so important. As we plant this church, you know, like, there's so many things you can focus on when you're starting to plant a church. We just did our logo this past week because, you know, logos are super important for churches. As if, like, there's going to be a guy one day that's like, oh, River City Church and see our logo just fall on the ground, prostrate, worshiping because of the logo. The best case scenario, he's like, that's a pretty cool logo, and moves on. But, but we've created these ideas of how we can spread the gospel that Jesus is not asking us to do. He's not asking for a figurehead. He's not asking for the one anointed one from our churches that can finally reach the cities. He's not asking for us to be super trendy. Like, you can be trendy, and that's great, but that's not like the new version of how we're going to reach the world. It will always be the same thing. We love differently. We love differently. We love the ones that don't deserve to be loved. When you were in this first century with these Christians, the way that they destroyed an entire class system, you would actually go to a feast, and if you wanted to be a part of a feast, and we can't do that now because we're here. But you would go there, and there was a way that they ate. And it was always in order. So the most important people would eat first, all the way down to the least important people. So if you were an Epicurean, number one in class, you would eat first. No questions. A Decurian, you would eat second. A Freeborn, third. So on and so forth, all the way down to slaves when they ate. So if ever a slave was like, I'm so hungry from 
toiling the fields, and I need to eat, and got up in front of a freeborn and tried to eat, you could, and it wouldn't even be like a big deal. Like They could be like, you know what, Jedediah jumped in front of me, so I'm going to need somebody to go out back and kill him. And it would just happen, because you would never step over the lines of a class system. So here's what happened with a Christian society. You would go to a place, and there would be a feast in an Epicurean's house. And you've heard, this person received Jesus. And you're like, what does that even mean? And you go in, and this most important person is bowed down on the floor, washing the feet of a slave. And you sit there, and your mind is like, it wasn't because they put together an awesome promotional campaign. You just understood by looking at that. This love is different. They will know who our Jesus is, and if we're disciples, by the way that we love each other. And you cannot fake selfless love. It's just, have a selfless person, a selfish person try and fake selfless love, and for like a week you can do it and be okay at it. But then like our selfishness is like, this is stupid. Let's just be selfish. You can't do it. If other people aren't more important than you, you can see it. And so people are waiting on our churches to be so loving, to be so, to do what the Kesslers did with me. To see a kid that really just didn't, there's no future. Like you, could, you would have looked at me and said, there's no future in that dude. But the Kessler saw into me, and without even knowing it, prophesied into my future and said, I see worth in you, and you're important, and you need to know. We're not, do, we're not doing this based on how awesome you are, are right now. You're not awesome right now. They would have never said that. They just invited me in. They loved me before I was lovable. It sounds a little bit like what Christ did at the beginning of our connection with him. Loving us before and he's asking us now to do that with each other. That's, that's it. That's the gospel. Like, religions always offer eternal life. Most of them. What's different about ours? Our God came and did it differently, selflessly, on a donkey, taking off his robe, washing his disciples' feet and saying, you don't want me to wash your feet? Then you have no idea what I'm trying to do. Because they're fighting about who's going to be the greatest, and he says, you don't even understand The greatest will be the least. I am God, and I am on my knees watching your feet. And then he says, go and do likewise. So there is no one more important, and there is no one not worthy. My vision for our church is for there to just be crazy people that are are loved by each other that should never be together. Like you should look at the group of people, those people should never even be together, and then go, oh, they're Christians. Oh, that's awesome. And but not to think, oh, this is fake. Like I taught them how to do a 30-minute thing on Sunday mornings, how to love people well so that people will want to come back, and then they see them in Walmart and, and like we're demons. <laughs> but we're really nice on Sunday morning. That's not it either. It's this whole lifestyle of you guys are and, and as important as me. You guys, so, and we're all that. And there's not a, a pastor that's more important, and there's not a, a, a greeter that's less important. Every person in this room, the communal aspect of us loving one another will be how the world wants our Jesus or not. I'm telling you right now, sat in one of the best churches in America for 15 years. The reason I want Jesus for the rest of my life is because four awkward people invited me into their awkward home and let me have awkward fellowship with them. I think I said fellowship, but that's okay. We're in Georgia. So what is it about? Community transformation, this mission as a church. Why are we planting churches in Sminey's? Because people need Jesus, and he needs a version of us that will finally understand it will never be about us. It's his spirit. He's like, yeah, you build the church. You do that. You're doing a good job, guys. But it's going to be me building it through you. So you need to submit every pity, everybody yourself. And then you need to love people like I love.
And that's what he's asking. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to do one of the, just a terrible, it's a terrible closing. It's way too many things. Um, I would tell myself to never do this, but I'm going to do it. So you're going to have to forgive me. So again, how do we go forward? How do we find God's precious? And I'm going to ask you to do three things. And they're based on a passage of scripture, which has become really beautiful to me. John 17, which is Jesus' longest prayer. So if, if there's ever a passage where Jesus is praying about something for the longest, you kind of want to know what he's praying about, right? So he prays for three things. The first thing he prays for is himself. Seems selfish. You know he's not. But he's praying that he would be in tune with the Father to hear what the Father would say. The second thing he prays for is that the disciples that are already with him would be unified. What I just preached to you guys would be so unified that they are one just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, which is impossible without the Spirit. It's impossible. Every person in this room is crazy. Every one of you is crazy. There's things that happened in your mind this week that if they were on the screen, people in this room would be like, she is so crazy. Because everybody, everybody's crazy. There's not anybody that's like worthy of any of this. We all are crazy. For any of us to connect is crazy. It has to point to something else. The Holy Spirit of God. And so the second thing he prays is that we would have such a oneness. Like people would, people would look at us and be like, oh my gosh, like what? There's something really different about that group. It's, they didn't have to, you didn't have to convince them through a seven-step discipleship class. It was just they saw. Diff- so, and then the third thing he prays for is what I'm going to read to you. Is his prayer, and it's not even this prayer like we would pray. Like, God, bring the lost to us. It's for when they join. That's how he prays. I just love that. He's praying for when that happens, not if it happens. Like, God, if you would just bring a few people to our Smyrna church, because we're scared. Like, I'm not sure if it's normal to wake up in the fetal position crying in the shower. But if it isn't, then I need you, and I do. So we need him to bring us people. I don't, I don't really don't know what I just did. And this is the prayer he prays, though, for the people that would be a part. Because that's what, that's what it's about. It's about the people that will be a part. Joining in relationship, not in hearing a message. Joining in relationship. When a person walks into this room, it's you that make the biggest impact on them. It's not the most anointed message. And, and your pastor is awesome. And pastors are awesome. But it will be you and how you are with them. So break bread together. Go to lunch together until it's awkward, like pastor said. But it will be you. And so he prays, he prays a, a pre- preemptive prayer to attack what all of us do in community, which is get awkward, and he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. See, for me, that just sounds cliche, almost like when you hear about forgiveness a thousand times, like, we're supposed to be unified. There's something in that that is everything. The way that we are together. I and them and you and me, may, may, we may be brought into complete unity so that the world may see that you have sent me and have loved me even as, as you have loved me. So I, here's, my, here's, here's my awkward closing, and I'm sorry for this. I'm going to pray for three things. The first thing, as Jesus prayed, make sure he was connecting to the Father. Listen, Literally, can you like wake up in the morning and believe that you're a beautiful stone being crafted by him? You, not like what we should say, because we all have our, our Christian answer. Do you wake up believing that? Here's some fruit that follows the belief in that. P, 
peace, joy, long-suffering. I'll even throw in some ones that maybe I should hope. Excitement. Or do you wake up like I do a lot of times, like dreading life and afraid with anxiety and fear? These are the fruits opposite of Jesus. So are you, are you being beautifully crafted? Like, he loves you more than you... More than your brain, your little, my little brain can fathom. The love of God should be, there should be this moment where everything stops because you experience it. Not because you've heard all of the info and retained it. There should be this moment where, oh my gosh, I finally get it. It's gone from here to here. This, he loves me. And I'll give my life. And I'll move to Zimbabwe if he asks me to. Or I'll go plant a church, River City Church, number one under your seat, if he asks me to. Are you being beautifully crafted? The second thing is this. Have you like submitted yourself to this community? Not just do you come on Sundays. That's great. Like We have to have gatherings. But the gathering is really not about the gathering. The gathering is only awesome if the other stuff is awesome. If relationships are thriving and disciples are being made in the community, let's gather here and worship together and just freak out together. But if it's just gathering and worshiping together, let's not freak out so much. Let's just pray that God would lead us into community transformation. Because that's what he's asking. But you have to be willing to kind of turn on each other in that awkward... You can't really... There's not like a good book written on genuine community because it's always awkward. Have you ever been to a cell group where like one dude walks in with a guitar and you didn't know they were having worship and he sits down and there's five of you and you're looking around like, I, don't even, I have no place to hide right now. And he starts to sing and although we love worship, you know, we're like... The quietest, and you're hoping voices all kind of rise at the same time. You're like, I'm gonna go, I'm going in this next verse. I'm going in, but then you don't, and nobody does. And so for the whole worship set, it's like awkward. Community is supposed to be awkward. We're not supposed to build services that take away the awkwardness. We're not supposed to make it lights and glitz and fog machines and t-shirts and here's your coffee cup and go home and come back next week. You need to have an interaction where you're like, oh, that was so weird. Did you see the dude that talked to me this morning? His breath was awful. If you haven't had a breath talk with a person in church, you haven't really experienced community. If you haven't sat across from a group of four to five people when they're praying about being transparent and a subject comes up that you're like, I wish so bad I would just share that. But there's no way I'm doing it. And shared it. You haven't really experienced community. You haven't carried someone's nasty secret. Because we're not supposed to gather all these like appropriate people we're supposed to gather the people who are inappropriate, sort of, and the ones that are broken and unlovable. We've got too many churches that are planning churches with other churches. Let's go after people who need Jesus, and he wants you to know that he, he puts you here or whatever community you're in so that you can thrive off each other, so that you can cry together, so that you can do what in Romans 12 it says at the end, love must be sincere, honor each other, that you would celebrate with each other, that you would weep with each other, that you would mourn with each other. See, he wants this person over here to, to go up to encourage this person, as awkward as that is. Like to just, that's why it says in Romans 12 before that, if your gift is encouragement, encourage. It's for the body. And, and the gifts, you know, prophesying. If your gift is prophesying, you don't have to wait till you're asked up here to, to ministry time for an person, important prophet person to come up. That's not how it is, like... Call a dude on his phone when it's not. Nobody's watching. And be like, listen, God just spoke to me. You're going to da-da-da-da-da. And he's going to be like, what? And it's going to be awesome. That's what he wants the body to be like. 
thriving all week long, meeting in coffee houses, asking the guy that owns the coffee house how his family is. Just, and so I just, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but I'm just going to pray for you for those three things. And I'm just going to pray that God would let you land on the one, in the, in the worst ending ever with five different prayer points, that he would, he would put his finger on the one he wants you to, to dive into. Because he's personal. He will speak to you. I actually, I believe in like an amazing amount of faith right now that he's about to speak to some of you. He wants to speak to some of you. The last thing I want to pray for is some of you in this room, you like understand community and you believe you're a living stone. And there's a few people in your life like I was that are just morons. We all have them. And maybe you've even been praying, God help me to love people better. He'll bring you people that need to be loved. And so maybe there's a person right now on your heart that you've already like thrown in the towel. Like grandma, grandfather, even young person. that You're like, that person is not reachable. I think, I really believe God wants to stir the waters of your heart to understand that it won't be by anything that you can do for that person, but it'll be by his spirit and to not give up. And I think he's giving names right now to you. There's a person that he's writing. In fact, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes. Father, we just thank you that your, uh, your word says that you, you speak to your children and that we hear your voice, that we're your sheep and we hear your voice. That's, you can't argue with that. That's real. So you do. So right now, in Jesus' name, that you would pray or that you would, that you would speak as we pray and just let things land, God, on the fertile soil in our hearts. If one of us needs to understand that we're beautifully made, God, solidify that. I just pray that he seals that on a young lady or even a mom, a mom that's kind of comparing herself to other moms. You're not good enough. Maybe you didn't make all your homemade meals this week with granola. He's like, don't worry about it. He still has called you to be a stay-at-home mom. You're beautiful. He's, he's leading you. You're being beautifully crafted. To the young woman or young male who's like struggling with identity, he, he wants you to know you're, you're beautiful. And, and he's with you even before you deserve it. To the person who's like timid about being in community. And maybe today God re-showed you that you always thought community was about coming to this on Sunday morning. But he's saying it's about you giving now. It's about you throwing your whole life in on people as they did in Acts 2. Where they did everything together. They loved together. They ate together. I pray that he would push you in his loving way. And then for the third thing, if there's that person, God, just speak clearly. And as I continue to pray, if the ministry team wouldn't mind coming up. I just believe that God wants uh, some of you to just connect with someone to pray with, just to solidify it, to agree with you. It could be, a, could be for the person who's afraid of awkward community. Maybe this could be a, a good step, just praying with some people. But in any case today, Father, we pray that we would just continually become that beautiful temple everywhere we go. We thank you for what you do and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Or you could stand or sit or whatever you want to do. Let's spend this last couple of minutes.